0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sin Essential Podcast. My name is John Gilpatrick. Joining me, as always, is Aaron Pinkston. Aaron, how are you?
1: I am ready to hit the streets and uh, take out some fascists. Oh, wait, are we talking about games in New York today?
0: <laughs> That'll be fun. Uh, got your bricks, got your axes, got your clever <laughs> signs. <laughs> I, I'm,
1: Yeah, I'm just more of the sucker punch type myself, too.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Cleaver to the back sort. <laughs> <laughs> um, also joining us for the first time on the podcast is Alex Moore. Alex, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. It's been uh, it's been a great week. Uh, saw the big protests yesterday, which seem uh, oddly, uh, you know, uh, reminiscent of what happened in this movie. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's,
0: it was an interesting time. Uh, you know, the movie we're talking about is going to be uh, Gangs of New York, Martin Scorsese's 2002 film about uh New York in the eighteen fifties eighteen sixties and uh all the problems with immigration and the civil war and and just loads of other things that we'll get into um uh, but it was particularly interesting for me watching it uh in two thousand sixteen two thousand seventeen with uh what we've had going on in in the real world. And, the world of politics and and I mean I feel like we've said that Aaron on the podcast countless times <laughs> that we're recontextualizing films in uh, relationship to uh, 2016, but this one felt particularly resonant. You too? yeah,
1: yeah, it's pretty nice when uh, uh, that's that's been happening a lot, um, and I think people kind of expected that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, I don't know if now this is a movie you chose to to cover in the site, John. So I don't I don't know if That was in your mind when you picked it. Of course, you picked it a few weeks back, right? uh, And it was completely unintentional. I mean, just completely by chance that that we happen to are happening to cover this film just after the inauguration of of President Donald Trump and the the the, the shenanigans that have been happening uh, over uh, inauguration weekend. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a nice little a nice little parallel. And, uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of fun things we're going to be talking about today and, uh, through, throughout the week on the site.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm excited, um, to bring it back a little bit. Yes. I, I was the one who chose this film and, um, for me it was, I mean, this goes all the way back to like the start of the site and you had sort of approached me with an idea of you wanted to highlight a film a week and, um, this was one of the first. This was one of the first ones that came to mind for me. It's uh, a movie that I really love, and I feel like people don't think as highly of it as I do. I don't know anybody. I don't even think Martin Scorsese thinks of it as highly as I do. Um, and so, it's something that like I've been excited to. To talk about on the site and on the podcast, especially um, since we did The Departed, and I was like watching The Departed, and and I hadn't seen that movie in a while, and thinking like, oh my gosh, this is so much like Gangs of New York. It just like made me laugh, and I was like, all right. At, at some point, we need to give The Departed some space, let it have its ha- let it have its day, and then I'm I can sure. uh, I can broach Gangs of New York. And it just so happened that I, I chose a, a particularly interesting time to do that. So I'm grateful the way it worked out, but. um in case you haven't seen the film in a while, it takes place, uh, like I said, in the eighteen uh, forties through eighteen sixties in Manhattan, and uh, it follows uh, a person named Amsterdam Vallon through from boyhood through young adulthood. Uh, as a young adult, he's played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and uh, we see him as a boy. However, uh, when his father, uh, priest Vallon, who's the leader of the Dead Rabbits, which is a, a, a gang of Irish immigrants, uh he gets killed at the hands of bill the butcher who is a uh, nativist uh, very anti-immigrant and he's played by daniel day lewis in a very uh beloved and famous role i think and um amsterdam as a as a young adult is uh coming back to manhattan and he wants to uh infiltrate bill the butcher's gang in order to kill him to get revenge for his father and uh the two have sort of a uh you know, cat and mouse game to, uh, to get one another throughout the course of the film. And it all plays out at the end um, in the shadow of the draft riots of 1863, I believe, when uh, many people in New York and I think <clears throat> across the country revolted against the Conscription Act. So um, that's sort of the context of the film. Uh, I told you all about how much I love it, but uh, Alex, maybe you can tell us a little about A little bit about your relationship to Gangs of New York.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, well, this was actually the first time that I ever saw it. I've seen a, you know, a lot of other Scorsese movies, but I've never seen this one before. Okay. Uh, and uh, you know I remember when it came out, I just heard all this stuff about it, but I just, for some reason, never got around to seeing it. Now, when I actually saw it, I, I have to say I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's a really fun movie. Uh, it's got a lot of interesting stuff going on in it. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I just felt like it was a big mess. Yes. Especially <laughs> at the end, it was just so messy. Um, I I found it a little confusing, but but at the same time, I'm really glad I watched it. Not my favorite Scorsese, but certainly um, well worth the watch.
0: Yeah. Cool. Okay. It's it's certainly messy. I mean, even somebody like me is not going to argue that. But I kind of love and admire its messiness. But Aaron, what do you, what do you think about Gangs in New York?
1: Yeah, I'm actually in the same boat as Alex. I, I this is one that I hadn't seen. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's 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 sort of in that sort of a a block of time in my life where I just didn't really see a lot of new movies. Uh, I think this would have been my senior year of high school. So, um, I mean, I I feel like I would only go to the movie theater to see like the Lord of the Rings and like Anchorman. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean, at this point in my life, I wasn't quite the cinephile that would Totally appreciate needing to go see the new Scorsese movie, and honestly, I don't even know if it would have played in the theater in my hometown. Oh, is that right? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I don't remember how big of a of a wide release it may have been. Uh, it was a Christmas release, so maybe it maybe it did. But uh, in any case, this is one I that I had to follow up on, uh, and I, I think we're probably all going to be on on mostly the same page here today. But um, I think there is a lot of surprising things to like about Gangs of New York uh, but to echo Alex's sentiments I mean this is a sort of a huge crazy kind of epic movie that isn't always working on uh, all cylinders but when it does it uh, can be really great um, there are definitely some scenes and moments uh, that uh, that really work even when it's, it's just kind of this huge crazy mess uh, most of the time
0: yeah, for sure. Um, so I think one of the scenes that probably captures both ends of gangs in New York—it's brilliance and its messiness—occurs early on, and it, that's like the big battle between the natives and the Dead Rabbits in the film's first in the in the prologue. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wrote about uh, the film this week. You can see it on the synessential dot com uh, about this scene and how it feels sort of like like a royal rumble like a big like <laughs> WWE match and <laughs> and even like the music feels like sort of like a like a B-rate WWE theme um
1: yeah the the music was <laughs> what really sticks out to me in that scene i i, I think it it's shot really well and yeah and, and everything but the, the music kind of just like made me like lift an eyebrow like what what I don't quite understand this musical choice I'm not sure if, and it's it's obviously it's very um uh sort of out of time in terms of a musical selection which is probably the point but uh yeah, that was a little strange.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny. Um, I did read uh, a fair amount about the film this week. And uh, if you guys haven't checked out, uh, the book is called Conversations with Scorsese um, by uh, Richard Chickle. And uh, it's basically, like, you know the movie De Palma that came out uh, last year? Yes. Uh-huh. It's basically, like, that in book form with Scorsese. So it's just an interview about every single film he ever made. And it's, it's a really great resource. But um, he talked about a fair amount about this movie. uh, And then they, they covered the scene specifically. And he said that it it was one of his favorite scenes that he's ever filmed. And um, that the problem with it, however, was that he spent so much money on this particular scene that there's stuff that was supposed to show up later that they didn't have money for anymore. And so maybe (laughs) that gets to sort of the the end being confusing, which uh, I think both of you guys mentioned, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's a fun scene. I think it, it, encapsulates so much about the film uh, in that it's just like, there's blood everywhere, obviously, but then there's these two guys who um, are almost like polar opposites. They're they're kind of the same person, but obviously they're totally antagonistic toward each other. And, uh, and obviously it sets the scene for everything that's to come later. We we maybe
1: want to say that uh, Priest, who is one of the, uh, one of the two leaders of these factions is played, in a really nice cameo by Liam Neeson, yeah, um, which is is something that Scorsese does again <laughs> in, right. in a film okay. I think we're going to be talking about later in this podcast. Uh, the related review from this week, which is Scorsese's newest movie, Silence, and I think I think in both of those uh, both of those films, it's it's kind of interesting to see Liam Neeson used in this sort of cameo way. Um because I think if you if you don't know a lot about the film going into it, uh the end of that scene uh in Gangs of New York is maybe comes a little bit of a surprise.
0: Sure. Um, yeah, I can see that. So the uh counterpoint to Priest Val Liam Neeson is uh Daniel Day Lewis's Bill the Bookcher. And for me this is like one of the most enjoyable characters that Scorsese's ever created and and um I think Day Lewis's performance is wonderful. He's got so much going. He's like so menacing but also at the same time like a totally open book and um, and I really love that about him. It, it, it does feel like uh, coming back to 2016 again. It's kind of funny. I think Donald Trump has a little bit of Bill the Butcher in him. He's. I. Uh, I think he also has a little <laughs> bit of Dana Plainview in him, and I think he has very little uh, Abraham Lincoln in. Him.
1: <laughs> well, I was definitely. I was definitely thinking as I was watching this that Donald Trump and and uh, many of the uh, the folks that are his most vehement supporters would definitely watch this movie now and see bill the butcher as the hero of the movie which (laughs) yeah it's a little problematic
0: (laughs) for sure yeah for sure um but uh alex what was your seeing this movie for the first time what was your impression of bill the butcher
2: i mean he's certainly the character uh and the performance that just to me absolutely stood out like you said i mean it was one of the best things about this movie uh watching daniel day lewis do this it was interesting because i could see little aspects of other bits of things he'd done you know i I saw a little daniel playing view in there even though they're very different sorts of characters but there's a little bit of the same sort of menace in there which i thought was interesting but you know this performance it's interesting seeing uh bill the butcher uh daniel day lewis sort of just uh, it's it's almost like just a crazy scenery chewing performance, but it's just so good that you you love it. You know, it's it it just fits the movie so well, and uh, yeah, I I just can't uh, say how much I enjoyed it. I mean, I loved it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. He does. I mean, he totally chooses scenery. There's things that he, you know, I love one of the scenes I love is he's uh, he's uh, doing a steak and it looks like just the most vile steak ever. But he's got this gigantic, <laughs> like, uh, I don't even know what it is, but this like fork thing. And, yeah, then, yeah. and then this knife that's like longer than my arm. And uh, he's just, you know, he's a maniac. And, and it's
1: right on the table. Like, yeah yeah right He doesn't use it like a plate it- it looks barely cooked yeah yeah uh, totally yeah it was yeah that that was uh that was something that disgusted me a little bit. <laughs> <I> <laughs> but, uh but yes it's good uh uh good color for the character for sure For sure, uh, tells you what kind of a red-blooded American he is.
0: Exactly, Uh, I love his hair, which is Mm -hmm. like constantly—it's just like pasted to his head because he wears this giant top hat, and Uh uh, and he, you know, he like has never looks like he's never washed, and it's just his hair is just—he constantly has hat hair, and it always just. I love it. It's it's wonderful. And then, I, for me, sort of his standout scene is uh, about midway through the film, and he uh, is sitting at Amsterdam's bedside, uh, and he has this, like, tattered American flag draped around him, and mm-hmm. uh, he's talking to Amsterdam about, without knowing who Amsterdam is, about uh, Priest Valen and how he was, you know, the only... He, the only person I've ever killed worth remembering, and uh, and you, it's pretty clear at this point that they're about to come to a head, and um, I think that's just, that's the scene where he, he I, it's still like, uh, you know, it's manic, it's big and it, expressive, but he kind of dials it in a little bit there too, and, and so does the film, and I think that... Uh, stands out to me it's that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie
1: yeah kind of like what Alex was saying about he could see some of the other performances in the character at certain times that scene reminded me a lot of his performance in Lincoln yeah um, right, sure. which I mean it's obviously it's a totally different sort of character but that quieter moment he's just kind of telling a story uh, and of course the American flag draped, draped around him it's it sort of has this icon iconography to it um that reminded me of that performance too. So yeah, I mean hes he's I think he's pretty much obviously the most celebrated and um powerful actor working today. Sure. Uh and part of that might be because he barely works. Uh or I shouldn't say barely works, but he rarely works. Yeah, right. <laughs> because when he works he's working a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, that's
1: for sure. I I kind of wonder if um if if there Will Be Blood and Daniel Plainview didn't exist if that movie just didn't happen. Um, I wonder if people would think and talk about this movie or his performance here more. Because um, I, I do think, and it might just be because he, he won the Oscar uh, for There Will Be Blood and, and didn't for Gangs of New York, that might be part of it, but I feel like this role might be a little overshadowed in the cultural sort of context. Yeah. um, In in terms of maybe, and it might just be recency too. I mean that there's probably a million different things that play
2: into it. Speaking to that, I do feel a little bit like uh, a scenery chewing uh, performance like that might look a lot easier than something like a Daniel Plainview performance, even though I don't think it is, you know, there's a, There's a fine line between being just crazy and attracting all the attention in the scene and being just hammy and ridiculous. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what really makes this performance special is that he just goes right up to that line, but never crosses it. And, you know, I think seen from some eyes, you might say, well, it's a very attractive performance, but it's not really that impressive compared to Daniel Plainview, which is much quieter and and more sort of for lack of a better word kind of actorly you know
1: yeah oh i think i also just i think
2: there will be blood
1: hit a strange touchstone in in the in cinema i mean maybe i'm wrong but this movie didn't inspire like an snl parody you know what i mean like (laughs) like the the i will drink your milkshake did you know
0: yeah um
1: so, I don't know if if maybe that's just part of the just part of the cultural context that that when film fans first think of daniel day lewis they 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 think of Daniel Plainview and then they have to think a little a little while longer before they would get to to build a butcher but yeah, I don't know maybe that's just, maybe that's uh just my flawed opinion for not knowing this film as well as maybe others do um
0: well I think but that, I, I don't
1: know I feel yeah, like that's just kind of the impression I get.
0: I think there's a reason why you guys probably haven't seen this film and and you have seen there will be blood and part of that I'm sure is that we as we got older we be, all became more interested in cinema and I know for me, mm-hmm. I didn't see this movie when it came out because I was I, I think a little too young to really appreciate or understand it. Uh, I think I would have been 13, 14 when it came out. Jesus, uh, you're young. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize I was that, that much older than you. Anyway, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so okay. uh, yeah, Lord of the Rings was about as ambitious as I was getting at that time. Um, yeah. And uh, There Will Be Blood came. It was my uh, sophomore year of college, and and I was I was drinking it up like a milkshake. So, um, but anyway, I think that. Uh, Gangs in New York just never really like hit the way There Will Be Blood did, and so as such, we remember Daniel Plainview in a more than we would remember Bill the Butcher. But I think that it's interesting they compare the two films because there's a lot of similar thematic stuff going on, about just you know kind of like the uh, birth of certain uh, touchstones of I guess what what we think of as America, and mm-hmm. in uh, There Will Be Blood it was it's Kind of capitalism, and here it's uh, just identity and, and stuff like that. And um, I know Scorsese; he spoke a lot. This is a film that, like, he tried to get made for upwards of like twenty-five years. And so, uh, that it seems was... pretty
2: typical with Scorsese. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. You hear the same thing with Silence.
0: Silence and Last Temptation of Christ and, yeah. uh, and stuff like that. And, uh, I think, you know, it, it probably began, uh, at a period where he wasn't prepared to, to do a lot. Um, yeah. and, uh, at, he loved the novel upon which this is based. I haven't read that myself, um, but certainly it sounds interesting. Um, and, but he said that, you know, I used to walk around uh St Patrick's Cathedral, and I'd see these barely marked gravestones of these uh, you know Irish uh, Catholic immigrants who nobody even knows or remembers who they are and and that used to kind of speak to him and then this book uh, that he read spoke directly to that and uh, he decided he wanted to get it made, but it took you know took a while and um, I think that like you can feel sort of that passion in in the film in both good and bad ways I mean, Bad ways is I think that like he has a hard time probably uh, editing, um, and this movie is a very long movie. It's almost three hours, um, and there's a lot of stuff that like isn't necessarily integral to the uh, the proper story. But mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. it's fun. I think there's a lot of fun. Uh, I think that a lot of that probably has to do with uh, Jim Broadbent's character, uh, who is sort of a political boss, uh, Tweed. Is his name, mm-hmm. and uh, he's kind of running this uh, neighborhood, the Five Points, uh, from a political perspective, and uh, is is you know willing to do literally anything to maintain his power and his grip on these people, and uh, will cut you loose if you're not helpful to him and uh, will embrace you even if he uh, doesn't believe in sort of who you are and what you stand for um that stuff isn't necessarily integral to the Amsterdam build the butcher stuff but I find it pretty fun uh Alex what did you think about Broadbent's character and, and kind of all that material
2: so Broadbent is actually the the other main uh performance that I really enjoyed in this movie I really thought that he offered a sort of comic relief all almost he he was pretty funny but also he's just so light he feels very lighthearted in the movie uh and just every time he shows up it's 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 very entertaining one of my favorite scenes was that uh fire scene where there's that fire going on and and the fire brigade comes and he's just like running in front of it you know like, (laughs) like he's like running a parade or something and I don't know. I just felt like that was kind of emblematic of his performance in there, where he's just this, you know, on the surface, very charming, goofy guy that has a lot of shady stuff going on underneath. Um, and and the other thing that I really liked about is, him is that he always had Eddie Marsan standing by his side, just sort of yeah. silently looking very derisive at every single person <laughs> that, that spoke. So I, that duo was just fantastic. I really I really liked the
0: yeah, the, uh, the fire scene you mentioned is another one of my favorites, and you have, he shows up with his fire brigade just to say, yeah, look, I'm on the scene, I'm here, we've got this, guys. And then another fire brigade shows up, and it's clear that it's more important to him that the other fire brigade doesn't put out the fire than it is that his brigade actually does put out the fire, so instead of putting out the fire, they just fight each other. And, uh, and these people are like, our house is burning down, and he's like, if you ever need me again don't forget to call (laughs) and uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, he's ridiculous. He's a a natural politician and uh, isn't particularly interested in uh, anything else besides, uh, besides that. But uh, Aaron, what'd you think?
1: Well, I I, I was going to say that you had mentioned that this, this movie may have had a problem, an editing problem uh, in terms of it, terms of its length. Um, And it, I think it is, certainly could be trimmed down and slimmed down um, to, you know, probably, you could probably take about 20, 30 minutes out of this film and really just kind of focus on on that main plot. And it could be better, I'm not sure. Um, but I will say that there wasn't really ever a point in watching the film where I felt like I was I was getting bored or kind of yeah. getting pulled out of it because I think there's enough sort of, awkward momentum throughout the film and they're all, I think it seemed like every time when I was maybe starting to kind of get a little itchy, uh, there was another big awesome scene that, that happened like right when it needed to, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, to kind of save it, uh, and to kind of push it a little bit further. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, of a lot of Scorsese's movies end up being maybe a little bit too long, but you kind of feel that everything everything that's happening in it is interesting enough, even if it maybe isn't important enough uh, that you don't mind that it's there. And I, I definitely felt that specifically with this with this one.
0: Um, there's another scene. Uh, involving Tweed uh, pretty late in the film when he approaches Amsterdam about getting the Irish on his side. He needs Mm -hmm. the Irish vote and Amsterdam says, I'll deliver it, don't worry, but you need to support an Irish politician. And so, uh, Mm -hmm. Brendan Gleeson, uh, who's uh, basically an assassin turned uh, barber <laughs> um, and is an Irishman uh, steps up and gets elected sheriff and and that I, I find that scene like really funny like all this stuff but it's like pretty late in the film and it it, it connects to the main story but um, only just and um, but it's just emblematic of like it like I love that stuff like in and of itself even right. though it kind of adds to the bloat of this movie um, right so it's hard for me to hate on it but yeah, go ahead.
1: It kind of seems like the resolution of that subplot is something that matters to the end of the film. But it, yeah. when you kind of th- step back and think about it, it really doesn't, which is kind of a, a weird sort of thing. Mm. Um, because th- there is sort of a, a confrontation there that happens, and I, I guess I could say uh, after the after uh, Monk Begin, played by... Brendan Gleeson is elected uh, as sheriff. It's sheriff, right? Yeah, sheriff. Sure. I believe sheriff. Um, Bill the Butcher comes in, and gives him a visit and, and throws a meat cleaver in his back. Pretty much, you know, <laughs> which which we, we learn is sort of overstepping the bounds. You know, like, th- there's this lawlessness throughout the Five Points area, but now that this is an elected official that you're killing, it's, you know... It's maybe a little bit more than a slap on the wrist that has to happen. Um, so you know with that, you kind of think, oh, well, maybe that's going to lead to the to the ultimate sort of confrontation between Bill the Butcher and Amsterdam. but i I don't maybe I'm missing something, but I don't think it really does. I mean they're gonna they're gonna have their confrontation as as it is anyway, and and this just sort of adds a little interlude i guess into the film that uh is a nice scene and and definitely uh highlights daniel day lewis's performance yet again um but right i I don't know if it's really integral to to the the main story of the film
0: he says it's it's the minority vote uh (laughs) and uh, (laughs) i really uh i think that it does kind of lead to the ultimate confrontation because you see they're at um, McGinn's funeral and Amsterdam's carrying the casket and uh, right. Bill the butcher standing there and and that's when he says challenge and and butcher says challenge accepted and and that leads to the big fight but um, I think that like they could have got there in a like a easier way to that right. challenge I mean,
1: it, it's it's I guess it's added motivation for them but motivation they didn't
0: really need i mean yeah they could have got there like in a different right. way it strikes me as like scorsese wanted an election scene in the movie uh, mm-hmm. because it's really funny it's really great yeah. and they're like running around uh-huh. he's like okay like go vote and then he they leave the polling place it's like all right now shave his beard and send him back in and then when the election is over <laughs> uh eddie marzin's character goes up to uh, jim broadbett and says uh, we won, but there's 3,000 more votes than there That's are scenario, people. Is, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, keep going. We need 20, 30,000. <laughs> right. Uh, which is just, you know, hilarious. Um, and it, it strikes me as just, like, something that... A detail he wanted included in there, even though, it, like I said, it adds to the running time and uh, maybe isn't absolutely necessary to reach the conclusion. But it's still fun. Alex, did you have fun with that?
2: Yeah, I, I mean... You do get the sense that as Martin Scorsese is making this movie, he kind of has a dual mission, which which makes it a very unique and interesting movie, but also is kind of problematic in terms of editing. And and basically that is that he's trying to make like an entertaining, engaging story. But at the same time, he's very, very interested in actually portraying New York in and of itself at in the era. And so you end up with something like this election scene, which is you know, not really necessary for the story per se, but is something very necessary to the second mission where he's saying, you know, I really want to show you that this is the way politics was back then. Uh, and so I think when when he does that, this is why you end up with this, this kind of mess in the end. Uh, well,
1: and I think that, and this might be a good transition, um, but I think if most people who love this film would... Rather have all of these extra little bits, oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. That, that really mm-hmm. color the world than than they than they really want or care about the the main plot involving DiCaprio and uh, Cameron Diaz's character mm-hmm. Jenny who comes in, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and, and yeah, so I, I mean, let, let's get into that then. Um, go ahead, John. You can you can take it away, <laughs> fill, fill us in.
0: Uh, so this is the first movie that uh, DiCaprio and Scorsese made together. and Of course, they've become, uh, I mean, one of the, the most beloved, uh, respected, famous actor-director duos of, of kind of our generation, I'd say. And, you think so? Um, beloved? I don't know if I would go beloved. Really?
1: Yeah, I don't... I mean, I guess I can pull up the films that they've done together, but I feel like once we got to, um, Oh, what was the last one they did together? Wolf of Wall Street. Street. I mean, I feel like a lot of the sentiment was like, really? Scorsese's just putting DiCaprio in another one of his movies. (laughs) Like even when he, and, and don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street is one of their better pairings in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but if I feel like, I don't know, maybe this is just me again, but sort of thinking like, Scorsese has this muse, but maybe he doesn't always fit into the material that he's he's trying to bring. And I think this is a good example of that. Um, in in my mind, DiCaprio here is, uh, he's no longer a boy, but not yet a man. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> and sure. And he's in this sort of, in in terms of his performance, in this kind of awkward phase to me. Um, now the character is young, of course, and so you you don't want an old man in this role. But he still, I don't think, had quite figured out how to play it, how to how to really give a strong leading performance yet um, in a movie like this, which was more than just. I mean, we see by the time you know what is it? It's just four years later. He's in departed, and it's it's like a quantum leap um, in terms of his ability, but. Anyway, I'll digress, and, and it seems like maybe you guys have a different opinion on their pairings, but uh, I'll let you defend that.
0: Well, Alex, why don't you what, – what do you think about it? Break the uh, Well,
2: I mean <laughs> – so so about the performance specifically, I – Agree with Aaron. I don't think it was very strong. Uh, at the same time, I did find it a little bit refreshing uh, to see DiCaprio in a role like this because I just feel like recently and for a while, a lot of his movies, he's just playing this like very dour kind of person. And yeah. this was a a movie where he wasn't like he hadn't mastered that like constipation face that he's always wearing these <laughs> days. Uh, and and so I really did kind of, you know, feel like, oh, you know, Di- DiCaprio actually has like a different face and and it doesn't always have to look like that, which was nice. I feel like if I went back and watched like um, Catch Me If You Can, I'd probably feel that way, too. But um, and in terms of their pairings, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. You, they're paired together so many times. And yet when you really think about it, it's it's not like it, it seems very rare that they're they make a pair of movies where you're like, uh, I mean, a movie where, where you're like, wow, that was, like, just absolutely the best. It's not like like De Niro and Scorsese, where they just make a, a yeah. series of just fantastic right. movies together.
1: I I, I pulled up his, the Leos tomography, and I, I guess it's only five movies they've done together. Yeah. But I think it was pretty much five straight Scorsese movies. I think Hugo might be the only one in there that he wasn't in
0: yeah, um, I think that's right. during
1: this time. So, I don't know. Maybe that's just my cynicism. it it, people like shutter island more than i do the aviators like it's good but it's you know a movie i could kind of take or leave um so Um, i don't know maybe, maybe that's just me john you seem to enjoy it more
0: for me i uh i respectfully of course disagree um and I, what I love about the pairing is that, I mean, I love that this first movie is not a great DiCaprio performance, and I love that in The Aviator, it feels like he learned from the first performance, and he gets better with every successive uh, performance mm-hmm. in a Scorsese movie, and by the time you get to The Wolf of Wall Street, which just feels like kind of the culmination, in my opinion, of DiCaprio's entire acting career. Um Right. Well,
1: the Wolf of Wall Street feels so different thematically. Well, maybe not thematically, but tonally than than their other pairings, I think. Yeah, um, it's almost like he Scorsese. gets to have a little bit more fun.
0: It's yeah. almost like Scorsese is learning what DiCaprio does best and what he yeah, doesn't do maybe. Best as well. Um, and so I, it's fun to watch that develop over a period of uh, you know, a little bit more than 10 years. And mm-hmm. I almost don't want mm-hmm. them at, to make another movie together because I feel like The Wolf of Wall Street just encapsulates everything that's great about DiCaprio as an actor and everything that's great about Scorsese as a director and everything that they do well together um mm-hmm. but it starts here and and like you said like it's a it's a rough performance. It feels like uh a like a kid who's who's wearing a suit for the first time and it clearly doesn't fit him right <laughs> yeah. um and but he's trying his best. He's like, look, I, you know, I'm an adult too. Like, I could do this, and I don't want to like disparage the guy because certainly he did a better job than I could have done. Uh, that I'm some sort of acting critic. I, I I don't know the crash of acting. I just think that like it it doesn't fit him exactly right. Uh, but he's making a valiant effort of it, and I think that there's elements of uh, his sort of uh, you know fresh faceness and stuff like that that works for this particular role because in the movie he's trying to find his place in this world as well um mm. and so i think that that kind of works on sort of a meta level and there's a really great scene uh around the halfway point i think when uh the, an attempt is made on on bill the butcher's life and uh amsterdam saves him and it's sort of like Amsterdam is trying to figure out within himself, like, why did I do that? Did I do that because it was just, like, my natural instinct? Did I do it because mm-hmm. I want to kill him myself? Or did I do that because, like, I feel close to this person now? And he's, like, wrestling with that, and I think that's that's good stuff, but then there's other stuff. I, I would say he gets probably dragged down a little bit in all the scenes that he has to share with Cameron Diaz, so maybe we want to transition mm-hmm. to that performance. Uh, Alex, what did you think about Cameron Diaz? Not... Diaz and Scorsese, not one of the most beloved actor-director uh, <laughs> pairings of our time.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was fine. I, I guess the issue really is that everybody surrounding her in that movie is just so big, except maybe a, a little bit of Leonardo DiCaprio still getting uh, getting his bearings. But, you know, everything around big, and she just puts in this sort of, like, eh, it's it's fine performance. Uh, It it appeared to be, like, I was looking at IMDb, it appeared to be a time in her career when she was trying to actually be in good movies for, like, two years. Uh, Because right around then, she was, well, because right around then, she was in, like, Being John Malkovich, and she was in um, Vanilla Sky, which is, like, very different from, like, everything else you think of in her filmography. And so, you know, she's trying, I think, but she just... She's just really she flat an and has no presence. She was an uncredited bus
1: passenger in Minority Report. Oh. I did
2: see that, yes. Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. So she was really stretching herself there, too. She's probably never taken a bus for the last 15 or 20 years.
0: <laughs> like DiCaprio, she has the 2002 uh, Scorsese Spielberg uh, on her resume, which is kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> Aaron, any thoughts on Cameron Diaz?
1: Well, so I kind of knew coming into the movie that her performance hasn't really been well-received. Yeah. Um, I kind of, you know, I, I, one of the things I kind of remember from the cultural sort of talk of this movie was,
2: and part of it might be
1: because she her career just so dramatically changed after this movie, um, that that she she was uh, an obvious weak point of it and almost like to a level of ridicule um so i kind of went into the seeing the film with that in mind and i think that made me kind of like her performance oh
0: cool (laughs)
1: like like i mean you know it, it it wasn't an award worthy performance or certainly not the best performance in the movie but I don't know. I think people may be a little too hard on her, uh, for the, for the, the role she plays in the movie. I, I think she has sort of an, sort of an interesting energy in the character that, and, and part of it might just be, be, be how the, the character is written, but you kind of never know how to put your finger on her in, in terms of what she is in this world, like how she inhabits, uh, this sort of masculine uh, violent world that's around her and you kind of get little glimpses of kind of how she survives in the world uh, and I think a lot of that stuff is 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 really pretty good and she just kind of, I don't know she has like a kind of battling that she kind of almost has this sort of sweet presence uh, especially in some of the scenes with DiCaprio where, you know, she just has this big smile on, their, on her face and it kind of feels a little out of place, but not in a, not in a bad way. I think in a way that kind of works with how the movie in a lot of ways is sort of a strange amalgam of, uh, of weird things. Uh, Whereas sort of DiCaprio kind of, I get much more of a sense of him like dressing up and putting on a performance, you know, like being sort of sticking out in, in a, in a pretending kind of way that I don't get from her.
0: Okay. That's fair. Um I kind of group the two together personally as is yeah, a it, little bit underwhelming. That's easy to do. Yeah. yeah, I think it's easy to do because they do spend a lot of time, especially in the film second half, just the two of them. Um, yeah. so uh you know, when you have Bill the Butcher and and Tweed and all these other like really zany uh-huh. like larger than life folks like in half the scenes and then these other two kind of like less interesting characters in the other half of the scenes. Then I think I think like what you're describing is like whenever the film like feels like it needs a jolt, we cut to the characters we need to see, yeah. uh, which it works mm-hmm. in its favor. But yeah, the more time we spend with these two is kind of drags it down a little bit. Uh, again, I love the film, so uh, it's, it's a little nitpicky for me. But uh, I think yeah, I mean, one.
1: she and she's being basically the only woman in this movie. She has that sort of difficult uphill climb that that for had in the Departed. You,
0: Depart-
1: you could have put Meryl Streep <laughs> in that role, and it and it's the degree of 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 it being better is is not. <laughs> I mean, there's not much more she I feel she could have done um, unless they gave her like crazy cat teeth. I, mean, I was gonna like, say, yeah. You
0: said the only <laughs> the only woman in the film. You forgot Hellcat Maggie, right? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty awesome. I love
1: in the in the and Scorsese does it a couple times, and it feels like such a Scorsese thing to do. I mean, it's basically Goodfellas, where there'll just be a section of the movie where there's like someone describing all of the people and and things in the world. So like, yep. but doing it like really quickly and like. So you, you can't at all process everything, but just to kind of give you an idea of of what the hell this crazy world is, and and so in the in the beginning you you get that with Hellcat Maggie, uh, and it's just kind of like whoa, 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 what is
2: this? And then she's barely in the movie. <laughs> I know.
0: I know. You uh, apparently more.
2: though, she's uh, apparently she's based on a real person.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Which is kind of amazing.
1: So, like, you just kind of get teased with her, which is an an interesting approach. I wonder if there was more of her that they cut out. But I think it, it works. I mean, it works in the favor of the film. Like, she's such a seemingly preposterous character that if we had to spend a lot more time with her, it might have kind of been like, okay, I don't know about this. but It all fall
0: apart, falls apart, yeah. Uh, there's a great... Another great scene, um, and it, it's kind of similar to what you're describing. It feels like it, like the Copa Gabbana scene in Goodfellas, but it's not a long take, and I, I, I wish it was. It would be great. I don't know if that yeah. was ever on the table, but they're going through this like big saloon, and it really feels like the West. Mm-hmm. And we see Hellcat Maggie at the bar, and she wants a <laughs> drink out of this like keg, and she, she gives the bartender an ear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and he says, "Is it left or right?" And she's like, "Who, you know, what the hell do I know?" <laughs> like, who cares? <laughs> Just give me my drink. <laughs> Which is wonderful. I don't know why she's paying in ears, but but whatever works, I guess. Um so, uh Hellcat Maggie not nominated for an Oscar, but the film right. uh Aaron was nominated for, I think 10, is that right? Yeah, 10 in in so one zip. And it won zero, which is, yeah. I guess, maybe an infamous number. I don't, I can't remember if there's any other films that like were nominated for that many and didn't win any. Yeah,
1: so I had to look this up. There okay. were there were two, two others. Uh, the color purple. Oh, sure. uh, the Spielberg film, and uh, shoot, there was one more. It was a film from the '70s. You can, you you can see it in my post. I could look it up, but. That's I don't okay. care. It, it frankly it's a film I'd never heard of. Okay. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um yeah, but it it got a lot of nominations and, and nothing to show for it, which must have been pretty embarrassing, I think, to the uh to to the people, the producers uh involved on that night. Weinstein's um, distributing it. Yeah, well that that could go one of two ways, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well th- sort of infamously Um, This was a film where – I think it was with the Hollywood Foreign Press. Like he was actually like buying them gold watches. Um, (laughs) Like it was one of the most egregious instances of trying to bribe voters um, ever. And I don't remember exactly what was done to like counteract it, but it was kind of a big story uh, I feel like at the time. Um, but, but so what do you think after looking at it, like where did the Academy screw up and, and why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the other like films and performances that we're talking about from this year?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I, I won't get into too much depth for that. You should take a look at the, what's now like a 3000 word piece, (laughs) (laughs) um, when you have ten, 10 categories to talk about, it, it can get a little bit lengthy. Um, but this was a sort of a strange Oscars. And I, I feel like kind of looking back, I always sort of think that. But uh, if you recall, this is the year that Chicago uh, won for Best Picture, mm-hmm. uh, which I think most people sort of consider to be one of the weakest Best Picture winners um, ever. Uh, this also was a year that sort of the same way with Gangs of New York. Um, This is a year that I hadn't really seen a lot of these films, so um, a lot of them I I caught up with for the first time, which I feel like gave me sort of an interesting perspective. Um, This was the year of Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, uh, which uh, the next year of course, was The Return of the King, which was nominated for 11 uh, Oscars and won 11 Oscars.
0: A reverse Uh, Gangs of New York.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a reverse Color Purple, Gangs of New York situation going on here. The five Best Picture nominees, uh, if I can remember them off the top of my head, I may have actually pulled up. Gangs of New York, of course, Chicago, which won uh, the Stephen Daldry uh, movie The Hours, uh, the sort of triptych movie with um, uh, Virginia Wolf, um, played by um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman, who won, who won in that performance. The um, Lord of the Rings: Two Towers was nominated for Best Picture, and then The Pianist, oh,
0: okay.
1: uh, the Ro- Roman Polanski movie, which, in some ways, it was, it was really that and Chicago that were kind of the biggest winners. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head how many. Oscar Chicago won, but it won a, a. I think it won the most of the of the event and then the Pianist won for Best Director for Roman Polanski, which is kind of a controversial pick yeah. uh, and then Adrian Brody won for Best Actor which is also kind of a controversial pick yeah. so I think when you, when you look back at this year, there's a lot of kind of, if they replay if they replayed it again this year I feel like things might have ended up a little bit differently uh, it, it's also interesting in, in for games of New York, not winning any Oscars. Given that I don't know if there were really any strong front runners. Um, I mean, Chicago, I think won the most awards, but it didn't like sweep any. You know, it didn't sweep all the awards it was nominated for. There were kind of random winners here and there. Like, um, so let, let here here. Let's play a little game. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you the the nominees for original screenplay. Uh, and you tell me which you think won. So, of course, Gangs of New York uh, was nominated. Uh, also nominated was Far From Heaven, Todd Heen's movie. Uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Oh, dear. Uh, Talk to Her, Pedro Almodovar. And I Your Mama Tambien, the, the uh, Afonso Coron movie. So uh, it's kind of an interesting group of, of nominees. But, John, what do you think won that year?
0: Well, first of all, I'm shocked no adaptation... Oh, adaptation would have been an adapted screenplay. Um, yeah, so I, it was. It, I guess it had enough
1: distance from the historical records of the time that they were able to, to call it an original screenplay.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um,
1: but anyway, which do you think won?
0: I'm pretty sure Talk to Her won.
2: Okay. Uh, Alex, what do you think? My initial thought was Talk to Her, but yeah i guess that's what i'd go with yeah okay. uh well you guys are right so okay. congratulations
1: kudos on that uh i guess when you know the nominees maybe in general weren't terribly strong for that category but still like i mean talk to her a foreign language film winning for a screenplay award
0: is, is pretty odd um, two that are nominated is amazing and
1: yeah. Uh, and then, you know, director, you had Rob Marshall, you had Pedro Almodovar again, you had Steven Daldry, Polanski, who won. And then, of course, Scorsese was still on this long losing streak. So right. you kind of think like, well, maybe this is the year they give to Scorsese. Of course, they did four years later with The Departed. But I guess my ultimate point here is that to be totally shut out out of 10 nominees, it may have not been the sort of odds on favorite in any particular award, which is maybe why that kind of happened. But still, like, there were definitely places in there it could have. And and you'll see in my, in my piece that there were a few... Not totally done with with sorting out everything, but you'll see it by the time this comes out. You'll see uh, what what I went on to select. But Gains New York, it will take home a, a couple of those. So, uh, and I think in general, more than the other Oscar posts that I've done on the site, I think I, I I end up disagreeing with the Oscars more in this year than I had in in the previous ones. Even still, not having, like, a strong, totally strong opinion on any particular one. Um, so I think the last thing I'll say about uh, this year's Oscars, and I'll, I'll pose it as a question to the two of you, uh, and I think we can we can chat about this for a minute. Uh, of course, Daniel Day-Lewis was nominated for his role as Bill the Butcher. Uh, interestingly, though, he was in the Best Lead Actor category. Uh, yeah now what do you guys think about that because obviously i mean it's the best performance in the movie i think anyone would say that he's the most memorable character in the movie i think everyone would say that he's in a lot of the movie it is a very long movie so he has that advantage but he's really not the lead leading role in the film so um what do you guys think about that and uh well we can kind of wrap that the Oscars uh, discussion up there, um, John. What do you think? Start with you.
0: Uh, before I answer, uh, we've got some uh, guests on the podcast in the form of I think uh, Can
1: you hear? Can you hear them? <laughs> <laughs> they're, uh,
0: they like to bark at they, things outside the they're, they're appalled so. by category
1: fraud, like we are. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now this is, this is no Carol situation, (laughs) but, uh, but uh, yeah, go ahead, John. I think they stopped.
0: Okay, cool. Um, (laughs) It's especially surprising with the Weinsteins uh, campaigning for this film because they've had so many instances of, you know, quote unquote category fraud over the years. Uh, You know, you mentioned Carol from 2015, um, mm-hmm. we might be seeing some of that with lion this year. Uh, um, yeah. and I'm sure lots of others that aren't coming immediately to mind, but, uh, just not being afraid to move someone into supporting or out of supporting in the lead or out of lead, uh, if it means a better chance at winning, uh, a trophy, um, Aaron, do you know, Could you refresh my memory who won supporting actor that year?
1: Uh, Chris Cooper for Adaptation. Okay, so... Uh, which, yeah, I mean, I think that kind of thickens the plot because I think if Daniel Day-Lewis were up for Supporting Act, I-, I think he would have won. Yeah. I mean, I think there would have been no doubt that he would have won. So it was maybe a, a bit of an interesting gamble, and yeah. maybe they just didn't see... Adrian Brody as someone who was gonna win? Well, I don't think um, anybody don't
0: saw Adrian Brody as somebody who was gonna win. If you go on YouTube and check out like Adrian Brody's Oscar win, like look yeah. at the faces of everybody when they call out his <laughs> name because they're all like their jaws are... it's 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 incredible. I've never seen anything like it. Everyone's like, Whoa <laughs> And I think conventional wisdom had it between uh, Daniel Day Lewis and Jack Nicholson for about Schmidt. Um, right. And then Brody comes in and steals it and then steals a kiss from uh, Halle Berry, uh, infamously. Um, <laughs> yep. But yeah, I think that like, I think maybe they just overestimated their their cards with this movie that just kind of going in, they thought, we've got it this year. Like, this is going to be the, the, the sweep uh, year for Scorsese and for Gangs Gangsta New York. Day Lewis has got it wrapped up. Nobody can touch him. And uh, clearly they uh, miscalculated that because I think if they had any idea that he he wouldn't win uh, Best Actor, they would have probably shoved him supporting. And I think you could make the argument that that's where he belongs because uh, Amsterdam is sort of like the lead character and and Bill the Butcher kind of just brings out his, you know, kind of uh, facilitates his transformation. Um, Alex, right you, if, Yeah, go ahead. Sorry,
1: if you, if you think about the difference between a leading and supporting performance as a character arc, then yeah, I mean... Bill the butcher doesn't really have much of an arc. Uh, he's he's sort of this guy, and this is the guy he is. Yeah. Um, and and right. So anyway, go ahead, Alex.
2: Well, I mean, I I guess for me, I when I see something like this happen, you know, I'm not very familiar with the actual mechanics of the Oscars, but I, you know, it makes me wonder: Are there any restrictions on who you can place in what category? Because I was when I was covering the Oscars the year with, um, you know, there will. Be be blood and uh no country for old men they had they had casey affleck in in best uh supporting actor for for the assassination of jesse james and he was clearly clearly the main performance and he was quite good and, you know, it just made me wonder, like, are, are they just free to shove anybody wherever they feel like if they think they'll win or can people, is there some mechanism where they can be like, no, clearly that's not a supporting role or clearly so, that's not a main role?
0: So one of the uh, in- interesting cases of this is uh, Kate Winslet in The Reader. Um, she won Best Actress. Um, that was in, I think, 2008, so 2009 Oscars. That might have been a, a Weinstein movie. I don't remember, but... She won Best Actress. They had actually campaigned her as Best Supporting Actress. And she won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress that year for The Reader. And she won Best Actress at the Golden Globes that year for Revolutionary Road. So it was a really interesting year. uh, And the Oscars Mm. voters basically said... Like, we know you think this is supporting, but it's just not. And she gets a nomination for Best Actress. And I think when they submit their ballots, like, she probably showed up on a lot of Best Supporting Actress ballots. But she just happened to have enough Best Actress votes to propel her into that category. So
1: Yeah, so it's – I guess not to totally dive into it, but a lot of times it's a political thing. Um, (laughs) I I don't know if – I'm not a part of the Academy. So I don't know if their voting process. No, I'm not. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if their voting process is the same as the the critics groups that I uh, am a part of that that have end of the year awards. But you get you'll get screeners. Um, for these films that they'll send to you and on the screeners, they will have a list of all of, basically for your consideration, like consider you know this movie for best editing, best picture, you know everything uh and then uh they'll also typically you'll see like you know, for your consideration for best supporting actor, and they'll list basically every supporting actor in the movie, like ten names, mm. um, but for the lead actor, they'll just have one, so I don't know if maybe this was a case that you know, when they sent those um, to the awards voters that they said, nah, listen, like, we know you're not going to love Leo DiCaprio in this. So, you know, consider uh, Daniel Z. Lewis as a lead. They'll put that on there. I'm sure there are also, in terms of Oscar voters, there's going to be a, a more direct contact with producers, you know, since most of these people are in the industry. So, you know, they have the parties and all of that. So the wine scenes are probably telling them, you know, you know, Daniel Day Lewis is a lead character here. But when it actually comes time to vote, it's up to the voter, I right. think. In, in mm. all cases. So, you know, for something like Carol, you know, when Carol came out, we had uh, the Online Film Critics Society. We had a lot of conversation about this behind the <laughs> scenes. For example, when I submitted my ballot, Rooney Morrow was a lead actress. Right. Mine too. Because mm. that's what I felt <laughs> it was. But of course, she, was, she then had enough votes. From people who went with either going just with the four-year considerations, or they just had a different opinion, you know, put Rooney Mara as a supporting actress—that's what she was nominated for, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there's sort of a there's sort of a leeway there. I think typically, um, and, and it's technically the opinion of each individual voter, but there there are light pressures, I think. Uh, for in terms of performances for voters to think a certain way
0: mm-hmm. before we close uh alex you wrote our related review this week and uh you discussed a film that's currently in theaters uh martin scorsese's latest which is called silence can you tell us a little bit about that film and then maybe if there's any c- connections to gangs of new york that you noticed while you're watching it
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, yeah, just to just to let you know about a little bit about Silence. Silence is uh, the film uh, that covers these two uh, Portuguese Catholic missionaries going to Japan in order to see whether their uh, sort of former teacher, another priest, has uh, basically renounced his faith. Um, And it takes place during this Interesting historical period in Japan where uh, Japanese Christians were just extremely persecuted. Uh, you know, they were tortured, they were executed, things like that. So uh, as you can tell just from the setting, it's a very very heavy movie, uh, and you know I definitely felt the weight of it just from the the very opening moments. Uh, I you know I really enjoyed this movie. Enjoyed might be the wrong word, but I really thought that this was a, a, an important. A good movie uh, worth watching. It's it's a hard watch. It's it's very heavy. There's a lot of sort of intellectual talk in it. Um, but at the same time, I just felt like it had a strong emotional core that sort of took it all the way through. I, I found it really riveting to watch. Um, and it was very interesting watching it at the same time uh, as Gangs of New York because you could really see some commonalities with it. Um, one of the, the, the coolest things about the movie... Uh, is its fidelity to uh, just the the time and place, I think. You know, I'm not a, a scholar on 17th century Japan, but you can just tell that uh, Scorsese and his team really sort of lovingly crafted uh, all of the locales and, and things like that. And they, uh, they you know, actually used real Japanese actors uh, to, to portray all these Japanese villagers and city dwellers and things. So, you know, that, that really... Was amazing, and you can see the same thing in uh, Gangs of New York, where I, I thought that sort of the sets and the production design and, and things like that were really top notch. You know, one of the, my favorite things about that film, and one of the things that I think will stick with me, is that that New York. You know, the New York of Gangs of New York. Yeah, so, um, and then on the yeah, and then on the flip side, I think you know it also uh, had this overstuffed feeling, kind of like Gangs <laughs> of New York, where I just felt like they had taken a you know a huge Thing and tried to stuff it into a almost three-hour movie. Uh, and it, it, it's a little different because it's not a mess like Gangs of New York. What it is is that it's got a very strong central section and uh, an opening act and a closing act that are very hurried and rely just hugely on voiceover and jumping through time and things like that, particularly at the end. Um, and it feels necessary to get the point across to a degree, but I had to wonder whether they could have done it any better. So, yeah. I, I think it's a great movie. It's it's you know it's not top shelf Scorsese, but it's certainly good Scorsese, and I it felt very personal personal for him. Really worth watching, I think.
0: Cool. Uh, I'm excited to check it out. I haven't yet. Aaron, you have seen it. Uh, yeah. Any opinions on it? Uh, do you agree with Alex?
1: Well, I'll say that it like Alex said, this is an interesting movie to consider with Gangs of New York. Um, I'll kind of go the opposite way. I think. One way that the two films are very different uh, is in their tones um, and, and sort of the the,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the energies of the film. Um, silence is, there are long stretches of the movie where it's like the title would suggest, would suggest uh, is about silence. I mean, it's about not only, uh, of course, uh, the title is more directly talking about the idea of silence from your God um, when these atrocities are happening. Um, but there are also, I mean, there are long stretches of this film where it's just contemplative, just just sort of really visually and without this sort of, the sort of lack of, of, uh, of sound kind of really just sponging it in. Whereas when, Whereas in, in Gangs of New York, when there's a silent moment, it's it sticks out. I mean, it's using a silent moment in Gangs of New York is sort of a play on uh, uh, to, to really sort of put a stamp on a scene. And it's, it's almost the opposite of, uh, of in Silence when he really wants to put sort of a stamp on a scene. It's when it has some sort of kineticism some uh you know a a big thing of violence you know people screaming you know something uh emotionally wrought uh so i think in in that kind of way there there's a strange balance between the the two films um Mm -hmm. and then i'll just echo what alex said uh this is obviously a very personal film for scorsese i think in a lot of ways it's maybe personal to detriment of the of the quality of the film um in some ways, I feel just personally, I think it would have it would have been a far less expansive and um, it would have maybe not be as thematically rich as it is, but would have been a better viewing experience and I think a better maybe perhaps a better film if it if the perspective had been with the the Japanese. especially the you see throughout the film there's these small uh clans of japanese christians who are sort of living in secret and i think the most interesting and i think alex sort of alluded to this in what he said the most interesting parts of the film is when we're with these japanese um but i think if if it weren't through the you know, if instead the perspective of these Portuguese missionaries, if they were you know supporting characters who we saw come into this world, but through the eyes of the Japanese, I think it it could have been a more interesting film. Um, I don't quite think that's a nitpick, but it's certainly very different than what it, what we see on the screen. So it's sort of a hard criticism to make because I'm you know I'm it's a very hypothetical thing. Uh, who knows how that film would have looked? But. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of a you know white savior thing going on here. Um, perhaps not as badly as in other films, um, but, but it's certainly there and it, it's not enough to make it a bad movie, but it's, it kind of makes you kind of question it a little bit.
0: White savior of jazz, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's
1: another one. Yeah.
0: That just about wraps things up for our uh, episode, our gangs of New York episode. Thank you guys for checking out this movie first of all <laughs> and for uh writing and discussing it this week uh, you can check out all of our writings on Gangs of New York and and all of our other films at thesinessential.com you can follow us on Twitter at thesinessential and like us on Facebook uh, the sin essential, uh, search for us on iTunes. So you can subscribe and download new episodes of the podcast. Uh, It will literally be
1: the only thing that comes up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, and it will help folks, uh, discover and enjoy the show. We certainly enjoy putting it together and we'd like more people to find it. So if you enjoy it, tell your friends, uh, the more the merrier. Um, but I'd uh, also like to thank uh, the Hemingbirds for use of our theme song, Half a Second, off their album, Half a Second. And uh, is there anything else, Aaron, that we uh, that I forgot? I don't think so. So uh, I think that's about it. Alex, thanks for joining us. This is your first podcast. Hope it wasn't too bad, and uh, we'd love to have you on again sometime soon.
2: Absolutely. It was a great time. I had a blast.
0: Super, super. So uh, we'll talk to you guys soon, and uh, thanks again. All right. Bye.